This is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. I got Sam Vecini with me. It's nighttime, and the reason it's nighttime is because uh, Vecini was flying uh, this afternoon to Chicago uh, for the NBA uh, pre-draft combine. He's going to be there tomorrow with more than 60 NBA prospects. And one of the things I I saw earlier today, Sam, and and we'll start with this, was that Syracuse uh, freshman Malachi Richardson has elected to not compete in the five-on-five portion at the Combine. If I were a Syracuse fan, uh, that would concern me in the sense that I would maybe assume from that that um, he feels pretty good about things as it relates to the NBA draft. Am I misreading it, or, or, or is there a proper way to read it at all? If you're a Syracuse fan, how do you feel when you hear the news uh, that Malachi Richardson is, is not going to participate in the five-on-five portion? Well, it's not even so much in hello, everybody. Uh, I'm glad to be podcasting again with my dearest friends over there in Connecticut and Memphis. Uh, It's not so much that he has chosen not to compete in the five on five. It's that the NBA isn't requiring him to compete in the five on five. Typically, that tends to be a requirement for guys that are, you know, in his range where I have him on my board right now, right in like the 55 to 65 range. Um, With him, it's a little bit weird that it's not a requirement. That tends to mean that he's probably more in the top 30 range uh, via a consensus of NBA teams. So if I was a Syracuse fan, I would probably not be feeling particularly good right now about Malachi Richardson returning. But it's going to be interesting because I'm... I'm not sure how well he's going to test. We know he has a really long wingspan. I think it's something around six. And at a you know a six foot six six foot five uh, frame, uh, I'm going to be interested to see how well he leaps, how well uh, how well his quickness translates. Because if you look at his numbers this season, I mean he was one of the least efficient players, if not the least efficient player that will be at the combine this week. Shot something like 37% from the field, 51 uh, true shooting percentage, uh, and generally was terrible inside the three point arc. He shot. 39%. There has not been a player drafted in the first round that shot under 40% in, uh, I can't even remember when the last right. time that happened inside the uh, two point or inside the three point arc. So he's kind of a weird guy because yes, he's a freshman. You can see the room for growth. I think that he showed it a lot during the NCAA tournament, but at the same time, there are a lot of issues with his game. I mean, he's a decent passer, not a great passer. He's an okay rebounder, not a great rebounder. Uh, he's an okay scorer at this point, but not a great scorer. He's still relatively streaky. So I'm a little bit concerned on where his fit is in the NBA. If he doesn't continue to mature as a scorer, obviously he's really young. He's 20, I believe right now. Uh, So he's actually a little bit old for a freshman, but still really young in terms of his NBA career. There's upside there, but I'm not seeing it as far as him being a guy that's going to get a first round grade for me, at least. Well, what's interesting about him, and we've talked about this before, is that though he was a McDonald's All-American and he played at Syracuse. He wasn't like one of the freshmen we were talking about all year long. Norlander, correct me if I'm wrong. You did the freshman watch every week. Like he wasn't like in your top five, top ten, was he? 
Not only that, but based on early season performance, it was Tyler Lydon that was the better freshman for the first four to six weeks of the season with Syracuse. Now Lydon's efficiency ended up going down. And Malachi is really only in this position because of how impressive he was in March, which is, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Like I totally get it. And he was, uh, you know, in, in terms of the freshman class as a whole, I mean, he was a good get for Syracuse, but he is definitely the most recent example of a player that had his teammate a deep run into the tournament, uh, came up big. I mean, he was clearly so big in both the games that I saw him play in person in Chicago uh, and, you know, had a had a few huge buckets down low in the paint, specifically against Virginia. But, no, this was not a wire-to-wire kind of thing. And I don't even think – I'm pretty sure he was not even – I didn't consider him a top-10 freshman by the end of the regular season. In fact, I can, I can guarantee that I didn't. So this is definitely surprising. But at the same time, this is where it gets – it's it's always interesting, guys, at this time of the calendar year because Malachi Richardson – who like if he goes like he's just one of those guys where I, I I get it but I don't get it like I just don't see how that player is a first round NBA draft pick but at the same time he means a whole hell of a lot to Syracuse next year and would be like if we next if he was gone for good right and he doesn't come back and we created our top 100 list like Malachi Richardson would have to be a top 35 player in college basketball heading into next season with a really good freshman class coming in. So it, it's two different things we're talking about here. His potential at the next level versus what he will probably and likely grow to be. Like, I could see him having an absolutely fantastic year to the point with Syracuse to the point where, like, Lydon and, and Richardson could be the best one-two sophomore punch of any of any combo in college basketball. Yeah, let me point out, too, I would definitely have Tyler Lydon ahead of Malachi Richardson on a whatever list you want to do NBA list college basketball list going into next I year would as well uh, would. yeah Leiden is kind of a different level prospect to me than Richardson is uh, he blocks shots shoots threes can finish a little bit inside rebounds a little bit he just kind of does more uh, than Richardson does in my view and I, I don't mean to kill Malachi Richardson I think that he probably would be drafted regardless at least uh, I mean uh, I will have a draft draftable grade on him uh, when if he does decide to stay in the draft. But eh, I, I'm not seeing it as far as his development at this point in his career. Uh, and in terms of, you know, what he did last year, I think this is the latest example of, you know, people getting uh, and, uh, you know, scouts aren't immune to this necessarily. Even NBA scouts are some of the smartest, most intelligent guys that you will find in this business. And they aren't immune to recency bias. I mean, this is a great example of a guy who went crazy in March and, you know, is on the tip of everyone's tongue. And, you know, I look at a guy like Ben Bentel, who is not on the tip of everyone's tongue, who I would absolutely consider to be a better prospect than Malachi Richardson going forward. So it's it's kind of a tricky process to navigate. You really can't be a prisoner of the moment. Uh, and Richardson, to me, that would be the ultimate, being a prisoner of the moment, even though uh, I, I do see the upside going forward with his game. I guess what I would say is that, I, and we've talked about this before, I think sometimes uh, people get so caught up on, I just don't see him being a first-round pick without recognizing while you're guaranteed nothing, Technically, if you're not a first-round pick, mm-hmm. recent history shows, and I did the study on it a few years ago, that like 80%, if not more, of American college players who are drafted in the second round 
actually sign NBA contracts. Doesn't mean they end up on the NBA roster, but like there's a very reasonable scenario where, and Sam, you can correct me on the numbers if I'm wrong, but like Malachi Richardson's drafted 43rd and uh, by the whoever's picking 43rd, just for the sake of the conversation, let's call it the Kings and the, and the Kings, um, uh, offer him a two-year, four hundred thousand dollar deal, and start him in the D League. Like that, like that might be, um, you know, a, a very real, if not like worst-case scenario for Malachi Richardson. At which point, no, he wasn't a first-round draft pick. No, he's not going to be on NBA roster to start the season. But he did just sign a four hundred thousand dollar contract, and that's pretty good for a twenty-year-old, right? You know, if you can rip away what you think, you know, for just a normal twenty-year-old, you know, signing signing for four hundred thousand dollars ain't the worst thing in the world. Well, where where that becomes tricky is, uh, you know, the second round, it gets tough. I think that it's actually maybe a little bit more beneficial to go undrafted than it is to be drafted in the, you know, 45 to 60 range. Because if you're in the 45 to 60 range, odds are you're probably going to get stuck in the D League, but you're not going to get stuck in the D League with a guaranteed contract where you're on the team's roster. You're going to get stuck in the D League where they give you, uh, where they basically have your rights and tell you, go play in the D League and maybe we'll sign you next year. You have to continue to improve your game or maybe go overseas and get a little bit of money like the Celtics did with Marcus Thornton this year. He got about $100,000 to go play in Australia and then came back to the main red claws at the end of the year. Uh, you know, Andrew Harrison last year, he played in the D League the full year and didn't really get any sort of guaranteed contract, guaranteed money up front. Whereas a guy like Taran Petaway, who went undrafted with the Atlanta Hawks, right. got a $75,000 guarantee up front, got cut at the end of training camp, went to the Hawks D League team, which I believe was Fort Wayne or yeah, Fort Wayne, which is actually not is not their affiliate. Um and he actually ended up making probably something like three times more than Andrew Harrison did last year. So it's kind of a tricky little game you have to play in terms of that. I will say in terms of if you go top 40, even the odds are very high. You're going to get a guaranteed contract basically right off the bat. Right. Uh, like a, I'm trying to think of an example from last year. Jordan Mickey went, I think, 33rd or something. Montrez Harrell went 32nd or something like that. Those guys got guaranteed deals, even though they spent a good amount of the year in the D League, they were still on the roster of the NBA team so it gets it's where you kind of have to trust your representation to kind of navigate the draft process in a lot of ways and it gets tough I mean a guy like Malachi Richardson with him being that he doesn't have to play in the combine apparently that makes me think that his stock is higher than what I would envision it should be around the league uh just given where he is at this point um my, my thought on why DeJounte Murray, for instance, is not at the Combine was that, and this is speculation on my part, they wanted him to play in the five-on-five portion. He didn't really want to do that. Um, I think that Jonathan Gavoni over at Draft Express said that A.J. Hammonds uh, was asked to play in the five-on-five, so he ended up withdrawing from the Combine. Um, so, I mean, if you don't play in this five-on-five, typically you're asked to withdraw from the Combine and they can get someone in that, uh, will play in the five on five. So it's a it's so a weird thing to me that Richardson is not being asked to play, especially given that he's testing the process without an agent at this point. I guess my my large takeaway, and then we can move on, was was uh, my initial point uh, that um, if you're a Syracuse fan who just wants what's best for Malachi Richardson, whatever. But if you're a Syracuse fan who wanted him back in school next year, 
uh, I think, and, and uh, you and For I sure. are on the same page here, the idea that the NBA isn't requiring him to play suggests his stock is higher than, than most seem to realize. And uh, if it is, there's a, a decent chance he actually remains in the NBA draft, uh, Norlander. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's. I think that's right. That's right. the right read on it. Right. Uh, I would expect at this point him to be gone right. if they're not making him uh, do the whole five on five thing, and he's just right. doing measurements and interviews. Norlander, what's Tim Floyd so mad about? <laughs> Yo, we got Tim Floyd out here throwing random press conferences in the <laughs> middle of May. Thank you, by the way, Tim Floyd, because this can be the doldrums of the college basketball offseason. Waiting for. Players decide to come back now and uh, leading up to the pre-draft combine. I know it's like Sam's Christmas, but college hoops-wise, headlines are are not uh, are not filling up our days. So meanwhile, um, locally, there's just been some consternation. You know, Floyd, obviously previously at USC, had a cup of coffee in the NBA with the Bulls, coached at Iowa State in the in the pre-Hoiberg era, but uh, hasn't really had tremendous amounts of success at UTEP. Has been there six years. He's well over 500, but they have not got to the tournament. And, uh, and you know, they've, they now are going to have a roster changeover of at least four guys, three of whom are transferring, one of whom uh, is just straight up going pro, won't be drafted to the NBA, but he's gone regardless. And because of this, there's just been some chatter about the state of the program and what Floyd has or has not been able to do. But, the, listen, if you have not seen the video I'm not going to say it's must watch because it's like you it's like 25 minutes long but I did watch the whole thing and on Tuesday you know Floyd had a presser with I don't know maybe 8 to 10 local media members there TV writers radio personalities whatever and the press conference was thrown in sort of a here's what's going on if we want to add any sort of clarity but in reality Floyd th- had this press conference so that he could publicly dress down a local radio personality. And if you watch the video, I mean, he comes loaded with a packet of information, <laughs> a, 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 practically a bibliography of citing all of this stuff. Shout out to Tim Floyd. Shout, out, shout out to Devin Downey. That's right. And so he's he's fighting a back against the notion that UTEP is any different from any other school that, you know, in college basketball that's had all these transfers or whatever and whatever, like that's fine. But he goes after this guy and, you know, tries to, you know, accuse him of not being credible whatsoever. The guy, the reporter has issues with Floyd not getting back to him and then, you know, calls him classless for doing this. And in a lot of ways, I'm sorry it is for like Floyd had an MO for this thing. And it was clearly to go after this local radio personality. And this is a, and you know, Floyd was the guy that got fired from USC because he basically, <laughs> he went so old school, I couldn't even believe it happened in the moment. I still can't even believe it happened. Basically, just put cash in an envelope and handed it to OJ Mayo. Allegedly. I mean, allegedly, but come on now. Um, listen, he. We should in point many out ways, just for clarity because people are going to tweet us. He didn't get fired at USC, he, he resigned. And, yeah, he did. Yeah, uh, and and he was never directly tied to any violations at USC. Both those things are true. Now, whether you and I believe he he was clean, that's another story. But technically speaking, um, he wasn't tied to anything. He was never actually even charged with the allegation of providing an envelope full of cash to one of OJ's guys. 
And uh, he resigned rather than got fired, just so Tim Floyd doesn't text message me about all this. That's, well, that, that is all very much true, right. but Tim Floyd knows very well either as well that like that's the least bought story, I think, in sure. the history of the past 10 years of college basketball. Like sure. People just don't – they just think that that's – like, yes, on its surface, those are the facts, but that's not what people actually believe. Floyd overall, by the way, it's not like he's done a terrible job. Um, he makes very valid points within within – the press conference and kind of explaining how, like, you know, with with UTEP and Conference USA, it's in the worst possible position for transfers because the school and the league are good enough where the guys that play at the top of the conference will get the attention of the major conference schools that want to poach them for transfers, and that's absolutely true. And then you'll have other guys who think that they should be getting more minutes playing in a one-bid league, but they're not getting it. And so then lower major schools say, hey, man, We'll play you 30 minutes a game. You can average up, you know, 15, 16 points. So they get the low end taken from them as well. It's not an easy job whatsoever. He has had some success. But the fact that this happened, uh, I can't believe I was writing about UTEP basketball. But it was, like, it's compelling. Like, they go after each other. Oh, sure. it's, 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 it's a little awkward, too. I mean, this is the kind of thing normally, like, I wouldn't say this happens regularly with every single coach and, and one member of the media at school, but plenty of coaches will have issues and continually have issues with maybe a beat writer or just one or two members of the media in their given area. And a lot of that stuff will get aired out in the privacy of a coach's office or over a heated phone call or whatever. You know, Joe Rexroad, who is now a columnist in Nashville, he was the Michigan State beat writer at two publications for the better part of a decade. And in his farewell column about a month ago, it's really good. I really recommend it's it. It's terrific. Google. It's a great It is fantastic column. because yeah. it is such a perfect – and GP would have such a uh, – I thought about Parrish when I read it because of his stuff with Cal. But every, it is story, such, every story he had about Izzo – I have the same story about Calipari when I was Calipari's exactly. beat writer. If you're some, yep. if you're a big personality's beat writer, um, you know for for multiple years, I was John's beat writer for four years. It was the Rod, Rodney Carney freshman year through Rodney Carney's senior year, and I was with him. I was his only beat writer, and I was with him every day. We spent a ton of time together, and you're going to have good moments, but you're also going to have blowups. And I thought Joe did about as good a job as I can remember of a beat writer explaining to a college basketball fan. This is what it's actually like to be a beat writer when you have a real relationship with your coach and you do the job the right way. I agree. And then just my last point with this is that most of this stuff, like what Rex wrote, explained, like he had like a huge blow up at one point with Izzo. Like a, and like and Izzo is just like one of those guys that will like totally just be he could be pissed at you. And so angry with you, but he gets it. And then, like the next day, like it's just water under the bridge. Like he, he can he can move on from it because is a real pro in that regard. What Floyd did is not normal, and it makes for compelling copy and interesting and awkward video. Um, I just kind of can't believe that it happened. I, now I don't know Floyd personally, but clearly this is something that's bothered him enough, and there's been enough chatter locally about the state of UTEP's basketball program that he went to do this. I mean, you don't have coaches holding press conferences in the middle of May unless they're leaving to take an NBA job. It just doesn't happen. So it was uh, it was very weird. Well, Tim's... Tim- I mean, let, let's be clear here. Tim Floyd basically did a book report on, like, the transfer situation in college basketball and handed it out. Oh, I love that. He's, he says he, he's waiting. Like, if you watch it, he's, he's, wa- he, he's waiting for this guy to ask a question. Just waiting. Yes. Just waiting. And when the guy asks it, it's basically, um, and apparently it's a long time El Paso um, beat, uh, a radio host. And I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful because I think I've been on his show multiple times. Um, his name just escapes me. I don't have it right in front of me. But um, 
Uh, I'm sure he's good at what he does. And he, uh, at least he's been an institution there seemingly for a while. He's been around for a long time. Because at one point, Tim references, I used to come on your show when I was the Bulls coach. And that was a long time ago. So um, Tim's just clearly waiting on this guy to ask a question. And he asked something about, uh, why do you think so many players are transferring? Tim's like, why do you think? You tell me. And like, he's red. So then at one point, Tim, like, you can tell he'd been waiting on this. And then Tim says, he had notes. Oh, oh, that's what he said. He says, hold on a second. And he reaches into his pocket. And I'm like, is he pulling out a gun? Is he going to pull out a gun and shoot this guy? And instead of a gun. It's Steve Kaplowitz, by the way. Steve Kaplowitz. Kaplowitz. Shout out to Steve Kaplowitz. Shout, shout out to Devin Downey. And so uh, he, he, he reaches into his pocket and he's like hands in his pocket forever. And I'm like, oh, man, Tim Floyd's about to pull out a gun on this guy. And uh, he doesn't pull out a gun. It's glasses. But he puts his glasses on so he can read his book report. And then he, he starts citing his book report. Uh, and this goes on for, like you said, 20 minutes or so. And I, I will say this about Tim. I've, I've known Tim for a long, long time um, from like back when he was at USC and OJ was there. I was out in California a lot because that's when Kevin was at UCLA. OJ was at USC. Like that was, I don't want to say the center of the college basketball universe, but it was like uh, being in LA that particular year was a big deal. And so I spent quite a bit of time out in LA and I always liked him, but he is fiery like that. Like he's not the type who's going to back down from anything. And he's not the type to, to talk behind your back and, and then pretend he wasn't doing it. Like I remember, um, like that. Remember, he almost tried to fight Andy Enfield. Yeah. Yes, I almost. I, I, <laughs> like, I, I like, almost referenced that in the column, but I didn't want to pile on. Like Andy. Yes. Andy said at one point because Tim was like trying to get the USC job again. It, it sounded like, and Andy was like, "Of course, he's trying to get the USC job. You'd be trying to get the USC job too if you had to live in El Paso." <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and so, then, and then he was like, "Nobody talks about El Paso." Yeah, like he, that. he was ready to fight Andy Enfield over El Paso, which is just like <laughs> hilarious. Uh, even though, like, uh, whatever, I'm not going to take a shot at El Paso. <laughs> but, like, I mean, if you could live in L.A. or El Paso, you'd probably live in L.A., right? Maybe not everyone. I live in L.A. I'll, I'll say that. Right. Okay, <laughs> maybe not Don Haskins, but most people would. My point is that, like, he took offense to something Andy Enfield said, and he he legit, like, was ready to fight Andy Enfield at, like, a function. Like, UTEP and USC were, like, in one of those holiday tournaments together. So there's, like, a, you know, a dinner where all the teams are there and all the coaches. There was something like that. And like mm-hmm. they had to, Andy and Tim had to be separated, right? So then, they, so yes. the idea that he would go right at a radio host today um, is is not surprising, given that he seemingly will just go right at anybody at any time. The other thing I would say is that um, what I found interesting, and and keep him, I don't, I'm not really plugged into how El Paso feels about Tim Floyd or how El Paso feels about Steve, but um, when I tweeted or retweeted your story today, um, I, I don't want to say. It was unanimous, but I, I was surprised to see apparent, apparent UTEP fans taking the side of the radio host because typically you, you pit coach against media. Fans are always going to side with the coach, like unless, mm-hmm. unless they really don't like the coach. And I had multiple UTEP fans like go, so tired of Tim Floyd. He's in the wrong here. Tim Floyd's embarrassing. Tim Floyd is classless. And I just, I found that it, I don't know, I don't really know what it means, but it, it was not the, I figured all the UTEP fans hated this radio host and it didn't, at least my, my mention didn't suggest that at all. Yeah. This I, whole thing was bizarre. <laughs> like, I, I don't think I've ever seen that. Like where a coach just calls a press conference to basically dress down this media dude 
like in front of 15 people for the like a 20 minute stretch. And he did. And, and I, to and, be clear, like yeah. he brought up really good points. Like oh. I think that a lot of what he said was really fair. And, and you know, I, I don't mean to, you know, I've never met Tim Floyd. Like I don't have a relationship with him. Um, I think that what he brought up was very fair. It's just that, I mean, even at the end, he knew that what he did was a little bit wrong. Like he even like kind of said like, yeah, like I don't mean to get riled up about this. You well, know, like it got it was, to, well, it got to a point where, because I'm with you, Sam. Uh, I thought Tim was making some good points. Like, hey, man, listen, you're doing a radio show. You're talking to my fans. I'm paraphrasing here, but this was essentially his, his point. You do a radio show. You talk to UTEP fans, and you are you are distributing bad information, incorrect information. Like, you do not know what you're talking about. Like, you're not responsible with what you're saying. You're not right about what you're saying. And he actually gave specific examples. You say this guy's leaving. He's not leaving. He's not leaving. You're just wrong. You say that, but you're wrong. And I will say that the, the, the radio host, he didn't back down, which was like, I'll give him credit for that because sometimes a media member can sort of cower in that spot. Um, but uh, he, he tried to change the subject. Rather than fight Tim on the points that Tim was making, um, he, he, he went into like, well, you don't make the NCAA tournament enough and all that kind of stuff. Like, he tried to move the goalpost on him. Tim came to talk about exactly what this guy had been uh, 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 apparently talking about on radio, and the guy didn't have very good answers to the points or responses to the points Tim was making, which I thought was, uh, you know what? Like, I, I can't say I wouldn't be, I, you know, it must be frustrating. I've thought about this before um, as it relates to myself because, like, I talk on the radio every day, too. Um, it must be frustrating if you're a coach or general manager, athletic director, and you've got somebody out there and they're saying things and you know that you just know they just they're not true and, and the person's wrong. It must be frustrating to stay quiet all the time. And apparently Tim reached the point where he couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. And what was <clears throat> Steve actually the, the the boiling point of the of the confrontation is when uh, <laughs> when Steve just he yelled like he yells at Floyd. You're classless for doing that and saying that in front of the media, which, I mean, can you imagine someone going back at, like, Calipari for doing something like that? Like, I could see Calipari kind of not doing what Floyd did, but having a press conference, maybe going after a member of the media or two, because he's done that, but, like, not to this extent. And then if you could ever imagine, like, someone like – listen, plenty of the Kentucky media are would be uh, willing and have the stones to do it. Can you imagine how massive – like, if this – this thing didn't even resonate. Like, it's crazy within the college basketball world, but it wasn't a topic on PTI. You know, it's not whatever. But if this had happened, like, you imagine if, like, Cal had done something like this, like, it would be one of the biggest stories in the country right now. Obviously, there's a reason why that doesn't kind of happen. But Cal himself also, I don't know if GP wanted to talk about this, but we can if you want. I mean, oh, I no, it's a perfect transition. Go ahead. Like, I don't know what he's doing. Like, honestly. I know like, what he's you doing. Want to he's up, trying ahead, to recruit in the public. <laughs> I guess, but like, is this even uh, GP? You can set it up. I don't even know if this is necessarily necessarily even needed, to be honest, on his behalf. Well, uh, so the, as the story goes, there's a kid being recruited by Duke, um, and he said that Duke's recruiting pitch, on some level, was like, "Come to Duke, you're set for life. Come to Duke, you're set for life." So then, well, like, let's be clear here too. Like, that's basically an exact quote from a kid that in 2017, Hamadou Diallo. That like they gave the kid gave to I think it was Kyle Tucker at uh, the Courier Journal I believe is the Kentucky uh, paper. He said like yeah Duke said that like you know come to Duke and you'll be set for life. Right. Like th this is a direct quote that Hamdou Diallo said to like a Kentucky beat reporter. Okay. Right. So um so 
uh, Diallo is, is being recruited by Duke, and, and, and Duke says, hey, uh, there's a million reasons you come to Duke. You know, you're, you're playing for the, the best coach of all time. You're playing for the Olympic coach. You're playing for LeBron's coach. Um, and you'll be set for life, right? So then Calipari jumps on CoachCal.com and writes a blog post about how he would never go into a, a home and tell a kid, come to Kentucky, you'll be set for life. Like, what happens if you transfer from Kentucky? Like, who's responsible for setting you up for life? Or, or By the way, Derek Thornton transferred from Duke. Is yeah. he set for life? Okay. So, like, and then, so then everybody, like, connects the dots, which are, like, they're begging to be connected. Hell, they're already connected. Um, and, and then, so then Cal uh, clarifies in a teleconference, I guess, today. Um, that wasn't directed at anybody. I was just talking about, you know, us and me. I wasn't talking about... Duke, but it's like, come on, man. Like, you know, like Cal does this all the time. I feel like he's done it with Shashevsky before. Like, there'll be, he has done it with Shashevsky before. Yeah, like, do you remember? Like, I feel like I wrote about this. It was over, God, what was it? There's definitely something that's happened. I know you can Google it and find it out. I wish we could pause this podcast and go find it. Um, But it was something like Shashevsky had. Mentioned a name by a recruit by name, maybe in. Oh, yes. Is that what it was? Yes. Wow. That's a great pull. So, yeah, Shashevsky, yeah. there was a brief. I don't know if it was by name, but he made. Yeah, he made Shashevsky made public uh, reference to a recruit while that recruit was obviously still a recruit. That's not uh, you can't specifically speak about recruits on record for NCAA bylaws. And so um, I don't know if much was made about it or people didn't freak out. Freak, Freak out about it enough, and then so Cal took that uh, opportunity to say, you know, if I if I had done it, why why is this okay? Why is well, like he what he said actually was like, uh, and again, like if you're listening, you can Google it. But my my memory of it is something along the lines, and this is the way Cal does it. He'll be talking about everything else, and then he'll just in a very subtle way slip it in, and it was something along the lines of, you know, like you know, uh, there's some guys out there, you know, they can they can uh, break NCAA rules, and like nobody says a thing. But like if I say, and it was like within yes. twenty, it was like within twenty-four hours of Shish, of the Shashevsky story. Yes. And whatever the details are, Shashevsky was in the news for possibly violating some very minor rule, and and, and within twenty-four hours or forty-eight hours or a week of that, Calipari in a conversation about something else says something along the lines of, you know, and then there's, you know, there's, there's coaches out there like violating NCAA rules. Nobody says anything about it. And everybody's like, Ooh, like a little shot at Shevsky, huh? And he comes back later and says, no, that wasn't about Mike. I love coach K. Like, I think he even had to tweet. Like I love coach K coach K and I have a great relationship. Um, but it's like this passive aggressive, like, um, take your subtle shot. And when everybody goes, Oh wow, he took a shot. He won't own it. He never, ever owns it when it's at like a and you know what it's like and you guys wouldn't know this but for me dealing with him as his beat writer for so many years it is exactly the way John Calipari is like I think if you were to ask John Calipari name the five media people you hate more than anybody else I, I Jeff Calkins would still be on the list the columnist at the commercial appeal in Memphis even though Cal and Jeff don't even operate in the same world anymore like John Calipari hates Jeff Calkins hates him will tell anybody he knows he hates Jeff Cockett. Guess who he's never said a crossword to face-to-face in his entire life? Jeff Cockett. It's never happened. 
He never mm. actually said anything to Jeff Calkins that's, that's negative, derogatory. If Jeff asked him a question, he would answer it. But like, but like behind, I don't even say it's behind the Jeff's back. Like John will tell anybody he knows he hates Jeff Calkins, but he'd never tell Jeff Calkins, I hate you, Jeff Calkins. Whereas like, you know, if, uh, if Tim Floyd hates you, he'll tell you right to your face. And so like John, like this is, this is, I, I think, uh, just an extension of that. Like he, does, he wants to take his subtle shots at Duke or at Krzyzewski or in other cases, Patino or Self or anybody else. But then if you say, oh, wow, John Calipari took a shot at Mike Krzyzewski or Bill Self or Rick Pitino, um, he'll say, no, 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 it wasn't about that, even though it was, it was quite clearly about that. It reminds me a little bit like the Texas A&M football coach the other night. Did you see that? You know this story? Yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the Aaron the Morehouse from right? last week. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, it was from last week. The, uh, some, some like, five-star quarterback decommits from Texas A&M six minutes later, literally six minutes after the kid decommits, the, the Texas A&M assistant goes on Twitter and talks about loyalty and you can't trust anybody these days and blah, blah, blah. Everybody connects the dots, calls it exactly what it is. Texas A&M coach subtweeting, uh, you know, some, some 17-year-old quarterback. <laughs> what and, are we even doing here? And I then, know. And then, he tra- and then he tries to pretend that he wasn't. Like, listen, either don't Well, do well the it. reason that he tried to pretend that he wasn't is because they then lost a wide receiver <laughs> recruit afterward <laughs> so because he was tweeting. It was uh, like, the first off, the idea that you're a 40-year-old, like, football coach subtweeting a kid is just kind of ridiculous in and of itself. But then it's, like, actually cost you recruits. But my point is, either don't take the shot or at least own the shot. Like, if I were on here taking shots at, I don't even have any enemies, but let's just say I hated, I, I don't even want to say anybody. Let's just say I hated a, 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 a certain reporter. And I took a subtle shot at him. And then everybody was like, oh, you got to go listen to the podcast. Paris took a shot at so-and-so. And then I tweet, like, after that, oh, that wasn't meant about so-and-so. I don't know why anybody would think that. Like, and it, like come on. Like, either either just ignore it or own it. But don't don't take your sh- Don't write on – don't jump on CoachCal.com. Write your blog post. Clearly um, a reaction to what had just literally – days earlier been in the news about Duke and pretend you weren't at least in that part referencing Duke. Like nobody believe, like nobody believes you. So why are you doing that? I don't know. I'll set something up real quick for you guys. I, I do think I, it's completely unnecessary on Calipari's part, but, um, and even if this is like a one-sided thing, um, I mean, it's not bad for us and it's not bad for college basketball. I would, I would like that, you know, if we could have some sort of, uh, actual rivalry there um it would be cool i just don't expect shashevsky i mean or mike like i would not think that he would have any sort of reaction short of being straight up asked about it which isn't going to happen because he's you know he actually by the way mike shashevsky's had two surgeries this offseason and is getting ready to coach the olympic team and uh and i just don't foresee him ever having to deal with this publicly barring another um you know uh, grenade lobbed on on behalf of Calipari, even though he'll say that wasn't it. But in general, like I'm I'm not opposed to these things. I think that there should be more clashes, and it's okay. These are very competitive men, uh, coaching at the highest level in college, and and for there to be sort of you know disdain or discord, I think that's perfectly fine. I, I think the sport could always use more of that because there's there's so much too much goody goody stuff when it comes to that kind of. We thing. need Jim Harbaugh to coach college basketball. Well, and Cal is really the closest thing to Harbaugh, but he's not even that close no, because Harbaugh owns yeah, what, like, because Har- Harbaugh is like a crazy person. Harbaugh it's, won't, it's incredible. Harbaugh won't only uh, tweet about you by name; he'll like at you 
on it. Like he'll 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 like he'll he'll put your Twitter handle in the tweet. Like he'll go at Butch Jones. He went like poor Tennessee coach. Like uh, all these all these college football coaches. Going after the Ohio State athletic director. Went at, the, went at the Ohio State athletic director. Like Harbaugh, Harbaugh really like doesn't care. Like he'll go at you and he'll own it. Whereas Calipari will like he'll basically subtweet you. And then if you try to say, "Ooh, that was a subtweet," he'll insist that it wasn't. But like, come on, like that. Does anybody like seriously? Could anybody read the headlines about the Duke recruit and what he said? Then read that blog post at CoachCal.com and not think that Cal was clearly referencing the Duke situation. Yeah, and I mean, here's the other thing too. Like we we talked about Hamadou Diallo being the guy that like brought this whole thing up. Uh, there is something much more immediate going on between the two schools. They're both in the hunt for Marquise Bolden, who is pretty much considered to be one of the top two centers in uh, this 2016 high school class. Uh, And it's basically down to Kentucky and Duke. And everyone says it's like 50, 50, it's neck and neck. Like there are rumors that he wants to go there, that his parents want him to go to Duke. Like who knows what is true at this point. And I mean, here's Cal just coming out like, you know, talking about the recruiting practices of Duke. Like, this is a clear thing that, like, I don't know how he's getting around this one. I mean, it's yeah, so I even, obvious. I don't, even, I don't know why he's just not owning it. Just own it or just ignore everybody else connecting the dots. But, like, when you try to pretend it wasn't about Duke, like, you just – and listen, he's John Cal. He's, like, the biggest deal or among the biggest deals in college basketball. So, like, whatever. Maybe he just doesn't care. But, like, it's it's simply unbelievable. Uh uh, like I, I, the story, like his explanation is just, it's, it's not an, un, it's not a believable explanation. It so uh, bizarre. It's, we, there have been so many bizarre things in college basketball this week. Yeah, like there's yeah. between that and Tim Floyd, like what, what are we doing here? And Richard Pertino's <laughs> just flying around on private jets everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> what about that? Poor Richard. I feel, I feel a little sorry for Richard. Like some of it is his own fault. Right. But like, yeah, dude, that dude's in some trouble now because there's a new AD there. Uh, well, like, new AD, um, how, how about this? So, uh, like, for people who don't know, and we'll wrap up with this, and there's really nothing to add about this other than it's just interesting and it's um, there's a lot of turmoil at Minnesota. They've had off-the-court issues consistently. They've had uh, on-the-court issues, obviously. They're like, they won eight games this season. So he's um, probably at the top. They of lost every- to Rutgers. Lost to Rutgers, for crying out loud. Uh, they're probably on the uh, top of everybody's hot seat list next year going into his fourth season at Minnesota. But he had a, a, one of his players who was supposed to be a, you know, a, a rotation guy this se- upcoming season, next season, um, was arrested for uh, sexual assault. Hasn't been charged yet, um, but he, has, he was arrested and jailed uh, after a sexual assault allegation. There's an investigation pending, and, and uh, the kid's been suspended. His name's Reggie Lynch. He's been suspended uh, indefinitely pending that investigation. Um, so th- meantime, like the university is doing an internal audit and they find out that he's like blown away um, the hours he's supposed to use uh, uh, or was allowed per his contract for private jets. Now, it was um, it, it was approved by his former athletic director, Norwood Teague, according to an associate AD right now. But still, like according to the contract, he's been excessive. And so all of this is coming out. And it, I don't guess that's a big deal, but it's a big deal when you got all this other crap going on, too. But um, so I'm doing all this reading and, and the Star Tribune um you know, led by our, our buddy Amelia, has they've done a terrific job uh, reporting all this. But one little detail, just a sentence in a story, but th- I thought this was interesting. Um, Richard signed his latest contract 
which ties which locks in a seven point one million dollar buyout. He's owed seven point one. Okay, but guess when he signed it? Do you know when he signed it? Literally the day Norwood Teague resigned. Wow. So think about this. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, I, I'm 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 connecting some dots here, but I, I understand how this stuff works. So this is has to be how it works. He had that contract like on you know his agent had it. He's got it. The contract's in his possession. Minnesota says, hey, here's the contract we're offering. You can sign it or not. And so you don't sign it, or you might want to make some adjustments or make a counteroffer in some certain thing or change a line here. And, like, these are the way contracts typically work. Like, even on a very low level, like my level, like, you know, sometimes I'll be working for six months without a contract actually signed. You know, we're just going back, agents going back and forth and all that type of stuff. So Richard has not signed this contract yet. Then Norwood Teague resigns that day, literally that day. Richard was like, okay, boom, 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 signature on it. Get this thing locked in because you don't know what's happening next. New AD coming in. President might be wanting to change everything up. Let's lock this. Okay, maybe we didn't like this contract yesterday, but now that Norwood T just resigned under pressure for sexual harassment uh, scandal, sign the contract right now, and then Minnesota's locked into that contract, and it's a $7.1 million buyout if they want to get out of it. And you've got, and so it's just like it's a, it really is a mess right now because they've got a, a bad product on the court, like, like sexual assault stuff off the court, uh, and then this contract stuff comes out, you know, over the past 24 hours. But it's all like a, it's a, it's a fascinating sort of little drama playing out in Minneapolis that uh, I don't know how it ends well because um, you can have off the court problems if you have on the court success, and you can have on the court problems to some extent if you're running a program without the off the court issues. But when you start combining on the court issues with on, off the court issues. And you got an AD who didn't hire you, so he's not tied to you or invested in you in any real way. That's a that's a tough spot. It is. It is. Um, you know. But hey, seven point one million dollars. That ain't yeah, bad. Yeah, I mean, listen, can't feel bad for him for that. You know, yeah. it's a heck, heck of a deal, and we'll uh, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. Well, let's get out of here. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast. Um, on iTunes. That's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episodes. So go do that, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Take care.